0: Life has been a little crazy in the past year, right? It began with a pandemic, um, which in addition to kind of the health concerns of the whole thing, it brought a whole new level of change and of stress. Questions like, do I work from home? Can I, can I work from home? Do I still have a job? Um, what about my kids? Do I send my kids to school? Do my kids stay home? Is there even going to be school? Um, if you remember a year ago, we were asking all of those questions, like spring break just kind of kept multiplying for kids last year. Um, then questions like just every day, can I go eat out at my favorite restaurant anymore? Are they open? Are they doing curbside? Are they doing takeout? Right? All of these things crea- resulted in just the mundane all of a sudden becoming stressful Now, in addition to that, in the past year, we've had um, social justice protests, we've had riots, we had a pretty contentious election season, we had an attack on the Capitol, we had snowpocalypse, we had all of these things just in the last 12 months, right? It's been a bit of a chaotic year for us. Many of us are hurting, we're depressed, we're lonely, we're out of work, or we're not sure what the next steps may be. Um, some of us may be doing better, but I think we're all longing just to be back to normal, right? We just want things to go back to the way that they were. And I think that's actually the perfect place to enter the Easter season, uh, these two weeks that we're looking at it. Um, we're looking at Easter, and we're calling it Life in the Chaos Um, And that's kind of our theme for the next two weeks. And we're going to see this week how the events leading up to Jesus being crucified, it was just chaos. It was chaotic. It didn't go the way they expected. Um, The disciples kind of left Jesus hanging. Um, Jesus ended up dying, which I think made them think, hey, this thing that we've been doing, this guy that we've been following for three years, it's all just over, right? We thought it meant something, but it doesn't. And I'm just—I'm—I'm going to warn you up front um, that today is going to feel a little dark, um, and that's a little bit intentional because in the scheme of things, this week was a dark week in the ministry of Jesus and in the ministry of the disciples. And so I want us, as we're listening to what's happening as we go through these events, to look at, to try to think of this um, from three different angles. And I know as a preacher, I'm really not supposed to ask you to look for three things at one time, um, but I believe in us. I believe that we can do this together. And so first, I I want you to feel what Jesus felt this week as everything turned against him right, as the religious leaders, the government leaders, and even his followers and his disciples turned against him. I want you to kind of imagine what that would have felt like for Jesus in those situations. I also want you to try to feel what the disciples felt in this moment, right, as everything began to fall apart. They thought they were following the Messiah who would come, who would conquer, and would restore, and all of a sudden it felt like it was over, And then lastly, I want us to see how those things relate to us and our experience, especially in the last year. And I especially want us to see how Jesus has gone through some of the exact same things that we are dealing with, that we are struggling with, that we have seen in these last months. There's a lot of correlations that we're going to see between here and what we've been through in the last year. Now, there will be a little bit of hope at the end today. But the real hope comes next week. So we're kind of setting ourselves up to experience that next week. So I want us to feel it this week so that we can maybe feel the the hope and the celebration of Easter anew as we go into next week. And so we're going to be starting in John um, chapter 19. We're going to end there. Um, so I'm going to jump around a lot, but I'm not expecting you to follow me. So if you're here, um, it's page 962 in your pew Bible. If you want to turn there, or it's in the U Version Bible app. If you're following along with us there, um, but let me pray for us this morning as we get started. Um, God, we come before you. We just ask that you will speak to us, that you will show us, that you help us to see and feel um, and understand what you have, what you went through for us to identify with us, to help us, and help us just to see the, the depth of your obedience to God, your obedience to follow His will. So I pray that as we look at these events, as we see them, that we will see you. We will see your love for us, your compassion for us, your mercy, and just all that you endured for our good. So help us to hear that. Help me to um, explain that clearly or to help people see. And if, if it's it just help the Spirit to guide me uh, in speaking, in the ears who are hearing that if anything is, is off, if anything is not true, that it would just fall to the wayside and nobody would remember it. But help us to focus on you and to see what is happening in your ministry as it comes to uh, the climactic event. So be with us this morning. Help us to hear from you. In your name I pray. Amen. So, John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 6. It says, When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! And Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. And so Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, "'If you release this man, are you not Caesar's friend? "'Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar.'" And when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside, and he sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic Gabatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, "'Here is your king.'" And they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And we have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And then he handed him over to be crucified. Now, you may know how this story is going to end, but I think this week I want us to also ask, how did we get here? right? How is this what is happening? Because if you remember, Mike Kaiser last week told us about the triumphal entry where Jesus entered on the donkey and everybody's celebrating and everybody's cheering Jesus and they're excited that he's there, right? Cheering him like he is the king. And so just a few days later, they're cheering to kill him, to crucify him. So what happened in between those two points? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so we're going to go through those pretty quickly, but it's going to help us to see um, how this week was a little more chaotic than I think we thought. And so we're going to kind of run through this. Um, you can just listen. You, won't, you don't have to follow me in all of these verses. We're gonna, just going to hit a bunch really quickly. Um, but first, I want you to see that there is chaos when things don't go as planned. And so after the entry last week, the disciples have entered the city. Um, it is Passover. This is supposed to be a week of celebration and a week of remembrance of how God delivered and rescued them. Um, if you remember, the Passover is a yearly remembrance of how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. So they were in slavery for um, hundreds of years. God came and he said, hey, I'm going to release you guys from slavery, and I'm going to do it um, by kind of causing the angel of death to come through and kill every firstborn of every family. But the good news is, he gave them this way to be passed over, by sacrificing a lamb and putting the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. <clears throat> and so whoever was inside the house of the, 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 where the, door, the blood was on the doorpost, the angel would pass over and they would be spared. They would be rescued. And so they were coming together to celebrate this event. Think of it as maybe one of the biggest events in their history. I think as Americans, it would be like their Revolutionary War, right? It was the big event that changed everything, that set them free on this completely different path in their history. That's how big this event was. So they come together to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate this meal, to remember this great event where they were released from captivity and where they were saved. And at this meal, which they usually celebrate, this is what Jesus says um, in Luke 22. It says, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so Jesus was taking this meal that's been a symbol of how they've been rescued from slavery for hundreds of years, and he's changing it. He's making it different, right? It's no longer about this thing that happened hundreds of years ago. It's now about what he is doing. The celebration is now actually about suffering, right? It's always been focused on the lamb that was sacrificed to deliver them the lamb that gave its life to save the people, right? In Egypt, the lamb had to die for those people to be spared. And so Jesus is saying, I am now the lamb. I am the one who will be sacrificed. I am the one who has to die so that the people can be saved. There will be a new covenant, a new way to approach God, a new way to deal with sin. So he takes centuries of tradition and he turns them on their head. And he makes it about him. And then he continues after that. He says, but look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So not only will there be suffering, but one of you is going to betray me. Right In Matthew's account, after Jesus says this line, they kind of take turns saying, surely not me, surely not me, surely not me. And I think they're kind of saying, questioning themselves, like, I don't think it's going to be me, but I hope it's not me, right? They're just not quite as confident as we think we would want them to be on this occasion, right? Could I actually do that? Could I actually betray him? Is it going to be me So one of those who had followed him for three years, who had given up everything, left their families, left their jobs, was going to betray him, was going to turn on him. And so Jesus has taken this occasion, which was supposed to be a celebration, a remembrance of rescue, and turned it into something else, right? It's not going the way the disciples expected it to go. Things are very different from what they thought they were going, the way they were going to happen. And we've all experienced this, I think right? There's some celebration or this big event or a milestone or a vacation or just something that you're looking forward to, and you have high expectations, and then in an instant, it all comes crashing down, right? Maybe says, somebody says something, and it makes somebody angry. This is usually me trying to be funny, um, and it just doesn't come out as funny. It just offends people and makes everybody angry, and then everything changes into that moment, or maybe just the stress of trying to get there brings out an argument, and this thing that was supposed to be great is now become this stressful thing where there's contention. Or maybe something goes wrong. Maybe it's raining, or when you get there, the place is closed, or you forgot the tickets at home, right? Immediately, the expectations are thrown out the window, and it feels like, hey, now I'm just trying to survive this situation. I thought it was going to be a celebration. I thought it was going to be great, and now I'm just trying to make it through. How can I get out of this? How can I make it right? How did that happen so fast that everything turned so quickly? And so Jesus is about to experience the most crucial moment of his ministry. His mission and purpose are about to come crystal clear through his suffering. And I'm sure that he wanted his disciples to be with him the whole time. But Jesus' expectations of faithful followers is dashed as he kind of tells them that one of them is going to betray him. And the disciples are trying to understand what he means by his body broken and his blood shed. They still don't quite understand what he's trying to do. In addition to that, they're kind of questioning themselves, am I going to be the one who betrays him? Am I going to be the one who does that? Right? We've all had our expectations wrecked. We've all hoped in a, a great event, a celebration, a ceremony, a promotion, a vacation, only to have our hopes dashed or turned sour by the circumstances or the words of someone else. And then in the chaos of the moment, we really just want to make sense of it, right? to figure out what went wrong, how did it happen, were there signs, were there warnings that I should have listened to? I think we know that at some level, we can't control everything, but we don't want to feel like things are out of control or things are just randomly happening, right? We need something to be in control so that we can make sense of the world around us. So next, we're going to see that there is chaos when people disappear when we need them most. And as the night continues and they kind of continue on Jesus' journey through the situation, Jesus not only says, hey, one of you will betray me, but he begins to kind of outline what's about to happen. And it's going to be even worse than just one person betraying him. All of them will fall away. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not uh, this is from Mark in the book of Luke. Uh, this is what it says. Peter says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. So Peter's saying, this is, I'm not going to be the one who falls away. Even if everybody else does, even if I get arrested, even if I might die, I won't do it. And then Jesus' response is, truly I tell you, today, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Right? Peter is saying, I'm all in no matter what. I don't know about these other guys. Right? They might leave you hanging. They might run away. But not me. I'm Peter. Right? I'm obviously the best disciple. Right? I'll never fall away. I'll never turn away. I'll never deny you. Even if I go to prison for it. Right? Even if I die for it, I'm in. And then Jesus tells them, no, you're going to do it. And you're going to do it three times, right? It's easy to say that you're all in. It's easy to say that you will die for something when we're just here talking, right? But when you're actually in the situation, when it actually comes down to it, um, it's much more difficult. Now, I don't know that from experience um, because I've not been in many life and death experiences, but in the moment, it's much more challenging. And that's the same thing that Peter experiences later right, when it comes to the moment when Jesus is arrested and he's on trial, he does. He denies him three times in a row, and he realizes what he's done. He's realized that he's betraying Jesus. And so Jesus, in this moment, experienced his best disciple turning on him, even though he warned him that it was going to happen. And Peter, in this moment, realized his weakness after he denied Jesus three times, that his faith wasn't as strong as he thought it was, that his commitment wasn't as deep as he thought it was. When he was pressed, when he was in that difficult situation, he turned towards protecting himself instead of following Jesus like he said he would. And I think we've all experienced these same things, right? Those who are closest to us have abandoned us when we need them most. They've broken promises, right? Whether it's as small as a promise of taking out the trash that never actually happens, or it's a big commitment that we've made to other people, right? We've all been let down. And as a result, we're all hurt. We're all lonely. We all feel abandoned, I think we all have also realized the weakness of our faith. We give in to that temptation again. We say those hopeful, hurtful words. We break our promises. Our pursuit of Jesus comes, becomes complacent or stagnant. We know we will be let down and we will let others down. We need something better something greater to help us make it through. So next we're going to see that there is chaos when life feels out of control. And this one, as I read it, just seemed to scream unfair trials and injustice. And there's a lot of things that we could identify with that over the past year in lots of different areas. But when I read this again yesterday as I was going through it, I think we're all going to identify with this. Um... But I felt like kids would especially identify with this one. So, kids, if you're listening, this one's gonna make a lot of sense to you, I think. So, this is for you. So, Jesus, on the next step in his journey, is to go on trial before the religious leaders. This is what happened it says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they couldn't find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. And some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. And again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, Jesus here is on trial, right? He's being asked questions to see if he's done something, if he's broken the law. Now, keep in mind, he hasn't done anything wrong right? He hasn't really done any of this, but they're trying to get people to testify against him, but they can't find enough people that agree on what he actually said and what he was going to do. So he's been falsely accused, and they're trying to make up something to get him into trouble. And then he answers one question honestly, and they kind of jump off the deep end and immediately say he's being sent to death for what he's done. So kids or adults Ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Ever had your parents did think you did something wrong when it wasn't you who actually did it? Ever feel like it doesn't matter what you tell your parents and that you're still going to get in trouble no matter what you tell them? Or are you telling the truth and no one believes you? Right? This is the same thing that's happening to Jesus. He's trying to be honest. He's trying not to cause trouble but they don't really want to listen to him. They just want to trap him and get him in trouble. Now, I'm not saying that your parents are trying to trap you and get you into trouble. That's where this kind of falls apart a little bit. Um, But what I am saying is when you're in those situations that Jesus understands what you're going through. He understands that you're just trying to do your best, that you've been falsely accused or accused of something you didn't do, whether it's by your parents or your brother or sister or whoever it is, and nobody is listening to you even though you're trying to do what's right. Jesus understands he's been there. He can help you be honest. He can help you keep calm. He can help you make it through that situation. So we trust in him. And then Jesus then goes to another trial before Pilate. You can think of Pilate like the governor. And so Pilate questions Jesus and he says, you brought Jesus to me and you claim he's misleading people and causing trouble, but I can't find anything to accuse him of. I especially didn't find anything that's worthy of death. I'll just punish him a little bit and then we'll let him go. But the crowd isn't having it. They would rather have Pilate release a known criminal than to release Jesus they keep shouting to kill him to crucify him and pilate keeps trying to say that he hasn't found anything Jesus has done wrong and he wants to release him but the crowd is too much and he gives in he hands Jesus over to them to be killed and so Jesus in this moment has experienced basically a broken system right it doesn't matter what he does it doesn't matter what he says doesn't even seem to matter that the governor thinks he is innocent he's going to be condemned there's no right answer there's no way out and not only that the majority of the people in the crowd are against him right the same ones who were cheering him about a week ago are now yelling for him to be killed and he hasn't really done anything wrong The biggest thing he's done is he's just challenging things that they've believed for a long time. He's trying to get them to think differently, and they turn on him, right? And I think sometimes we probably feel the same way, right? It doesn't matter what we do. The system seems to be stacked against us. We're trying to do the right thing, but we can't make any progress. We just feel trapped, or we feel like the majority of people are against us or at least disagree with us right and trying to get people to think about think through something or to think of something different than what they already believe or to have a conversation about an issue and these days it doesn't usually go very well right we're all outraged about something someone who disagrees with us it seems impossible for us to make it through the world seems out of control our lives seem out of control Like we're just being carried along from one thing to another, right? It's this thing, and it's the next crisis, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. We know we need something more something to change the system, something to make things right, to make things the way they should be. And here's the little hope this week the chaos of life is not outside God's authority. We read a couple of verses in the middle of John chapter 19, and this is what they say. And so Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus responds, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above this is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. The religious leaders thought Pilate was in control. That's why they handed Jesus over to him, because their laws didn't actually permit them to kill him. So they needed somebody else to do it for them, and so they handed him over to Pilate. Pilate thought he was in control. Right, by his words. Right? I have the authority to save your life or to kill you. You should answer me because I have the authority to do that. I have the authority over you. I am in control of this situation. Pilate thought it was his call to decide what to do with Jesus. But Jesus sets the record straight. You don't really have any authority. The authority you have has been given to you. It's only yours because God has placed you here and he has given you that authority. Even though you think you're in charge, that you think you have authority, you really don't. All of this is happening according to God's will. And that was true all the way through Jesus' life and ministry. It was all happening according to God's will. And it's still true today. Things are still happening according to God's will in our lives, in the life of the world, even as crazy as it may seem. But those things that we think can rule our lives, that can create chaos in our lives, have no authority in themselves. The unexpected events, the words, actions of others have no authority in our lives. They only have power in our lives if we think that we are in control and we can make things go the way we want them to go. People letting us down and breaking our promises have no authority in our lives. They only have authority and power in our lives if our hope and trust is placed in other people. The government, the systems of the world, the things around us have no authority over our lives. They only have power if we think that life is going to be fair. Right, these things that usually lead to stress and anxiety and anger actually have no authority over us. They cannot rule our lives. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he endured what he did. That's why he stepped into the chaos. He embraced the chaos of this week, of this situation, for us to show that he has power over all of those things, that as we trust in him, we are freed, we are safe. We don't need to be in control. We don't need to find our hope in other people. We can endure the unfairness of life. We can overcome them as we trust in the one who has overcome them for us. And as we trust in Jesus and realize he is our only hope with dealing with sin, with being rescued, in having eternal life. And as we trust in the one who overcame the chaos, we can be at peace. We can endure. We can move forward. You guys, pray with me this morning. God, we come before you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, of sending him, of the, just enduring the chaos of the week, of, of his followers leaving him behind. We didn't even show, talk about this morning of when he was arrested, that everybody scattered. Everybody just took off running and left him there to be arrested and taken to trial. They all fell away. So God, this, this week, as I, as I just read through this, it made me feel like, uh, the, a little bit like the disciples, right? That I think my faith is strong. I think I'm committed to following Christ. But if it becomes difficult, if it becomes challenging, will, will I be the one who just runs away, who just denies him? And it's easy for us to say no in this moment right now when it's easy and it's comfortable and there's no threats. But God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith in a way that no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on, that we would trust in you, we would follow you, and that we could truly say the same thing that Peter said. Even if it brings me to be arrested, even if it brings my death, I will follow you. I will trust in you. So God, as we reflect this week on just the week of you going to the cross, that we may just feel it a little more than we normally would or, or understand it a little more deeply. That you endured the chaos so that you could show that you are more powerful than that, that you have overcome it. So as we trust in you over our own control, over our own plans, over our own um, friends and family and people that we put sometimes put our hope and trust in, that we We can endure through you that even when everything else falls away, when everything lets us down, you are there. You are with us. You will protect us. You will guide us. You will lead us. You will give us peace. So God, help us to remember that and to reflect on that this week. In your name I pray. Amen.